The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. Hello, Legal Eagles. It's Kevin here again. In this episode, I'm joined by David Kerr, CEO of supercharged international law firm Bird & Bird. David's been at the helm there for 22 years, transforming a small London law firm into a global player. His secret? Taking corporate best practice, new tech, and his skills as a communications lawyer, and transferring them to the legal profession. He may have 12-hour working days and enjoy views of the London skyline, but it's not from an ivory tower. Leadership and management has brought him closer to clients and to the law. Be warned, there is mention of the B-word, but will something as trivial as Brexit have any impact as the firm steps up its offering in Silicon Valley and gets into bed with Asia? Listen in and find out what's next for David. Hear about the challenges he's faced and the lessons he's learned along the way. The Hearing Right, well, thank you for joining us, David. Uh, we're here, I've got to say, at nine o'clock in the morning, which might mean that I'm not at my most excitable. Um, but but we're working around you today. What time does your day normally start? Oh, wow. What at work? Yeah. About seven o'clock. And finish? About 6.37. Okay, well, that's not so bad, I guess, at the end of the day. But um, uh, thank you for welcoming us to your office. Um, but I want to know a little bit about what brought you here. How, how have you ended up uh, with this fantastic view over London, doing what you're doing? I guess it's been a, a long journey. I've been a partner in Bird of Bird about 30 years, and mm. I've been running it about um, 22 years now. Yeah, that's, that's my, that's my research it, as well. I mean, a lot of people ask me, how on earth have you kept at it for so long? But it, that kind of assumes it's been like one job, mm. when really it's been four or five different jobs because the firm has transformed from being a tiny little London firm yes. with a very good reputation in telecoms and IP. Um, into being a global giant. So it, it, it really has been a, a journey of transformation, but yeah. several types of transformation. So it's always been very challenging along the journey. And I, I feel like moving into this building was the latest of a series of quite big challenges. And how long ago was that now? We've been here almost two years. And um, I think it was it's more of a symbol than mm. anything else. It's a quite a dramatic building. It is. But I think it also represented the time when we were getting into a much more um, consolidated level mm. around the world in terms of our strength in different offices and mm. different countries. And it also coincided with our push into America and China yeah. in a big way. Yeah, well, we're going to touch hopefully on that a little bit later. Um, but but you, you've been, um, say, a partner for, I think, 30, however many years. Uh, but but, uh, but the CEO or managing partner, I think, has is it an equivalent? Would you say it's an equivalent title, or yeah, well, we, slightly different? You know, it, it, well, it is largely. We, we, I think we always tried to go down the corporate route when mm. we internationalised because we thought that the old titles of managing partner and senior partner, none of us actually understood what that role really was, mm. including clients, which of course, uh, who who are mainly corporates. I'm guessing. Uh, right. uh, so there's a reflection of that. Right, and, and so we, we tried to follow more corporate lines, and we still do. And in fact, the latest governance um, reform that the partners approved a year ago was very much what's best practice in, in the corporate world mm. and how do we bring that into what we do. Um, well, it seems to be working. I, th I yeah, think everyone will, will agree with that. But um, you started off as a lawyer and uh, still are a lawyer, of course. Yeah. Um, but, but the vast majority of the time has been in management. And... I want to talk, take you back to, to the times when you were in practice. Are you still practicing at all now, or is it purely management? Not now. I, I managed to keep working until about 
uh, doing you know, classic legal work until uh, just before 2010, probably about 20, 2008. Which must have been a challenge um, in itself. It was, but, but remember again, we were still a relatively small firm in the early noughties. Mm. So it's really in the last 10 years we've gone for that more supercharged growth. Mm. Um, so it was it was possible to do that, um, but I, I still have a very strong view that the CEO and managing partner of any big firm has got to be connected with the clients and regularly seeing them, and particularly the larger clients and listening to what they want. Because uh, at the end of the day, a law firm is only as good as the client service it provides, mm. and it's really important to keep your ears to the ground on that. Mm. But in my experience, um, a lot of lawyers, um, partners, whatever, uh, they tend to shy away from the management in some ways. And is that something you've, you took on with relish? Yeah, I think that is a fair comment, actually. I mean, I've spoken to many managing partners over the years, and the number of them who say that they miss practicing law is astonishing, mm. as though they don't really enjoy the leadership role. And um, I've always enjoyed the leadership role actually and I've also taken the view that what's the point of doing something if you don't really enjoy it because yeah. you can't really be committed to it and yeah. I'm incredibly passionate about the role actually and uh, really enjoy it and have fun doing it yeah I'm afraid to say uh, not missing practice or do you miss practice it's just a different thing I mean I, I think that I've always enjoyed practicing and I really missed looking after clients in, in an active yeah. way um when I took that on, but it's not to say I don't also enjoy the leadership role. Mm. I think they're just different jobs. And you still have that client contact, I'm guessing. Well, try, try to keep with the clients, absolutely. Um, and I, I think the whole wave of uh, legal tech and innovation mm. in the law um, is nothing if you don't root it in what, is, what does the client actually want in yeah. terms of the improved service. Yeah. So you've got to talk to clients. Uh, yeah, but uh, also the your, your clients are in many ways your employees, uh, uh, your fellow partners. They're the ones that you are, uh, in some ways, trying to keep happy at the same time. I suspect. Sure. I mean, well, I think leadership. Keep, I keep happy. I think uh, le- leadership in any professional service firm requires um, a good connectivity with all the people, particularly the partners, but also the rest of the staff, and, mm. and good communication. And communication can't just be telling people what to do because mm. they're all insanely overqualified and yeah. amazingly bright. And you, you've got to uh, engage with people and find ways of making them interested in that engagement mm. in, on the key issues. But you're a communications lawyer, um, and, and the expansion yeah. of uh, the expansion of the office and, and the firm around uh, around Europe, around now around the world. Um, how easy is it to to keep that communication, to keep that engagement with staff? Um, it's not always that easy. I think we found various techniques over the years. I mean, for us, because we've always had this amazing strength in industry sectors, having. Um, those groups acting almost like the social glue around the firm is very, very powerful. And yeah, yeah, I was recently at a life science retreat and seeing lawyers from all over the world, mm. whatever their you know, corporate lawyers, litigators, IP guys, whatever their expertise area, coming together and having real fun talking about the future of the life science industry, which is probably one of the most you know, dramatically 
transformational industries in the mm. world at the moment. Mm. You know, I think the big revolutions in the next few years are going to be in the world, are going to be in, in that area. And it was so exciting, you know, just seeing all these people together. But it's interesting from a social viewpoint, I think that um, you know, whatever country you're from, you feel a great connection with each other after that. Probably bigger than just with the lawyers that do something else down yeah. the corridor in your own country. Yeah. So it's quite quite an interesting dynamic. So there are, there are ways of communicating that aren't just sort of top-down cascade. Mm. Um, it's ways of making sure that there are these sort of forums where people get to know each other better. It certainly seems to do with something that a lot of law firms are now looking at is this, this the sector focus. And, and you, you mentioned the innovation already, but one of your big pushes, I think, is in sort of digital uh, and tech, and you mentioned uh, sort of that direction. Um, you mentioned life sciences as well, but is that something which you, well, clearly it's a, a huge opportunity now. Clearly there's a big push in that direction. What makes Bird and Bird best placed to, to take on that work and to, to win that work over? Well, I mean, the, the, you're quite right. I mean, I think more and more law firms are going down or, or advertising the fact they do sectors. Mm. We've been doing it for a very long time. Mm. So that there is an element of differentiation in terms of the depth that we can go into. It's slightly broader than that. You know, a few years ago, we decided that the best vision for us was to focus on industries being transformed by tech in the digital world. Yeah. Um, and so the, the point of transformation, the point of change is critical for mm. industries around the world. And um, it means to say that uh, I always use the example that if um, there's a project to build a motorway between one city and another, it's not necessarily a classical bird and bird type infrastructure project. Mm. But if it's if the plan is to use satellite Road, road pricing and innovative ways of collecting tariffs yeah. um, using digital technology, then it certainly is a bird and bird project. And that's what we get. I, I suppose <clears throat> the challenge is convincing, or not convincing, but, but informing potential clients, existing clients, that that's something that you, you won't do this work, but you will do it if it's this work plus. Um, well, is, that, is that not a challenge it's in not, itself? It's not to say we don't have lawyers doing that kind of more classical mm. work. It's just that I think that if a client's looking for lawyers um, that really understand uh, the issues, um, trying to bring big transformation using technology, as in that kind of a yep. project, we're um, well ahead of what other firms can do because we actually understand the big issues. And um, there's been all sorts of examples around the firm of uh, amazing projects that have come in or acquisitions that have come in or um, you, you name it, it because of that mm. understanding of change um, and I, I think you know, so we, we try and hire lawyers that get excited by that um, and I think a lot of lawyers are understandably put off by technology change because it's kind of scary yeah. um, it's not something that they necessarily are comfortable with so we try and hire people that are really that they actually love it <laughs> yeah just just think that does that fit in any way to an age demographic or in terms of a particular maybe legal background the, the area they're practicing yeah i think it can do um definitely uh the the i think it's also something to do with the training of lawyers that often mm. 
people are kind of rooted at an early age into science or not science. And if you're not a scientist, yeah. then law is quite a sensible thing to go and do. Is, was that your, was that your, what happened with you? Well, I, I ended up doing law, but my, my father and his father before him were all big time engineers, scientists, and they, they built ships and yeah. other things. So uh, I had this kind of background of science in my house. And so I think it's always been there, that kind of fascination. And we have a lot of lawyers in the firm like that. They may not have, may not have got a science degree, um, but they're very, very into that whole world. Mm. Um, and, and we do have a lot of scientists in the firm who've gone into law as well, and they're invaluable. Yeah. Um, but it's not always uh, you know, the, the thing we look for. It, it's more the, you know, we, we, when we hire corporate lawyers, we're not looking for corporate lawyers who've got a background in science. We're looking for corporate lawyers that are absolutely passionate about this idea mm. of, um, fo- of focus that we have. Uh, when you say that you're looking at businesses or, or, or companies that have got that uh, digital change transformation element, that you went straight then to road building, which is not what you would automatically no. consider. Really, we're talking about any business now. Yeah, we could do. I mean, I think the biggest percentage growth we saw this year was in our retail and consumer group. Um, mm. But, you know, that's another classic example. You know, so for a lot of law firms, I think still, if you have a retail and consumer group, you're trying to do, I don't know, property it's leases the around, also, the UK, yeah. around the world. And it's very good work to do the property leases. For us, that's like, not very interesting at all, but we're all about, well, if you want to upgrade your digital platform or get better value from it or have a, a, a new franchising structure globally that delivers greater value to the business or look after your most valuable asset, your data mm. on customers, uh, we're the firm. And, and the sheer growth in that area is unbelievable for yeah. us. And a lot of these things are pushing at, at the boundaries of what the law is as well. There's often right. a, a lot of... There's no law legislation certainly uh, necessarily exists. There might not be any case law around these issues because they're, they're new technologies, new developments. Um, and how, how much do you think both you and, and your lawyers are giving legal advice uh, balanced with probably more commercial advice? I mean, it's, the point you make is very accurate that in many of the things we do, particularly the points of conflict, um, they're new conflict areas, so there isn't any yeah. established case law anywhere in the world on it. So we, we do make a lot of new law in the firm. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's a whole uh, legacy of Court of Appeal and Supreme Court cases around the world that prove it. Yeah. Um, and that, that, I think, is amazingly interesting and good fun. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you've got to use your instincts in guiding the client through that as to what you think the right the right law is. Mm. Funny enough, I, I, you know, I know we're all depressed about Brexit or we're all worried about the outcome of Brexit, but I still think English law is amazingly um, robust. And, you know, I, I think that it, it remains um, the strongest uh, reputation legal mm. system in the world. And some of the best case laws is still coming out of the UK. Yeah. 
I hope that'll I hope that'll continue. Yeah, and, and you're not the first person to say that. Not necessarily in in this area, but across a breadth of different practice areas, that still seems to be the the strong belief. Um, maybe it's we're trying to convince ourselves, but, uh, but hopefully not. Hopefully not. Only time will tell. Maybe we'll come back in a few years and, and listen back to this. Um, and and in, in terms of the change that the, the company that the business uh, of Bird and Bird has brought about and that you've led in, uh, the move towards international growth came relatively early. Um, yeah, and that's right. I mean, we, it was 1998 when I remember standing up before the partners, which wasn't as scary as it sounds. It was only about 30 of them um, in a room and saying, look, we, we, we will die if we don't internationalize. Um, and because of the size of firm we were, we agreed, I put forward a proposal that we put an investment pot together um, and that we go out and we, we build one firm mm. around the world in as many key countries as we could. And we had various requirements, what the priority countries were and what the big idea was. And the big idea was to hire the best practitioners we could find mm. doing what we do. And was the plan always to have organic growth rather than go out and buy and, and move in? The preference, uh, uh, by far the majority of the things we did were gr greenfield um, operate, operation setups in each country, but hiring key teams that had market leading reputations mm. in at least one or two areas of work that we cover. And we managed to do that normally through people that we knew very well ourselves because mm. we'd work with them or yeah. clients were telling us to use them. Um, of course, that's the alternative to, to look at partnerships rather than uh, and loyalties rather than setting up yourself. But most recently, I think, the Asia market and over in China and, mm. and the old brand connections. Can you talk us a little bit through how that came about and, and how, it's, how it's working? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, the fastest growing legal market in the world is in Asia-Pac. And in Asia-Pac, the fastest growing market is China. Yeah. Um, and so we, we've been successful in building up our own inbound operation in China, in Beijing, Hong Kong, Shanghai. Mm. But it's very much focused on looking after large Western companies going into China. And that continues. Um, and that, yeah. I think, will be an, always an important part of what we do. Um, but we realized that it was clear that more and more Chinese companies are going out. We already acted for a lot of Chinese companies going out of China. Mm. And they're getting much more sophisticated. They have a lot of capital available. Mm. Um, and also the core areas of expansion were in our key technology markets. So yeah. we went looking for the right kind of partner firm. and. Uh, we're lucky enough to find Albright, mm. and it's going really well. And you know, we've we're very very pleased with the early collaboration that we've seen. Um, so it's very dynamic, and it's not just the direct stuff. I mean, we we're building more and more indirect connections with the business communities in China, and we see just the most enormous potential. Mm. I think there was this kind of myth actually in the West that China isn't innovative. Uh, we think it's enormously innovative. And, you know, I, I, in, uh, three weeks ago, I was in Shenzhen, where we signed a collaboration with the Chamber of Commerce there. And mm. just the sheer scale of change that yeah. we see, um, it reminded me very much of Silicon Valley in the early days. So there's this greater Bay Area around Hong Kong. It's got about 60 million people there. Wow. Shenzhen is very much the epicenter of technology innovation in yeah. China. 
And I think that area alone is going to generate the most enormous amount of work. Um, and it's very, very dynamic. But the parallel with Silicon Valley is extraordinary. And, and a lot of the entrepreneurs have grown up there. You know, they've, they've cut their teeth in Silicon Valley and then they came, go back to China. Yeah, and you, but you've moved over there as well. Um, sure. San Francisco, uh, another Bay Area. Um, there's, there's obviously the, the points of of change uh, or sort of the way the drivers of change are, uh, you seem to have covered off um, quite well already. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, we're not practicing US law in San Francisco, but we have got four or five partners that are on the ground. Mm. And um, we're, we're very much focused on looking after the core US client base um, in their own time zone. Yeah. And making sure we provide that kind of coordinated work. I mean, and and this, this came out in part because just conversations with large clients, you know, what do you want? Yeah. And better project management is one of the biggest requests that they've got in real time. And, and, and you also so, have lawyers working normal days rather than the ones over here yeah. working for US firms, working 24-hour days maybe, uh, just to keep the clients mm-hmm. happy. Um, so, so obviously... Uh, the connection with all the collaboration is is going well, but is there any move to maybe make that a stronger connection? You know what I'm getting at, um, or to, to to look elsewhere? Or at the moment, are you a little bit worried that um, who who's who's uh, sort of teasing who here? Um, well, no, you brought them over I mean, to the to the UK. We, look, we we have a one firm model. Um, unusually, we are one partnership around the world, so partners in our firm, whether they're in Australia, Beijing, London, or Paris, San mm-hmm. Francisco, we're all members of the same firm. And that, that's always been the model that we've used to build up, and that's not going to change. But we, we realized when we looked at the outbound work that the recent merger experiences, or well, there weren't so much mergers, I think about KWM yeah. and maybe Denton's as well, they were more an affiliation of separate yes. legal entities um, uh, unified by a brand, kind of a branding agreement. And we did look at that model, and whilst it may work for some firms, we think that it doesn't work for us. And we prefer to have a really close strategic partnership, arm's length, but where we're really working it. Um, and sure, it could lead to other things in the future, but... The priority is to make that work. And I've always been the believer, actually, from my experience in building the firm up, that you know, we've done a lot of cooperation agreements around the world. Mm. Uh, we did one in Denmark, in Australia. You work at that for three, four years. If you get on well and the business is good, yeah. the trust builds up, then you can move to something else. But we've also had the other experience where it doesn't work out yeah. for whatever reason. So you know, we, we're quite experienced at managing that and getting value from it. But is it you that has to have those difficult conversations uh, or good conversations, depending on, on how well, it goes? Or they've how, never how been, that work out? Actually, they've never been difficult conversations, as long as you're straightforward. Yeah. Maybe my northern heritage. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is, hopefully. Uh, yeah, and the charm, of course. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about what, what's, what's, what's coming up, uh, both for you, for the firm, but also for the legal sector generally. Um, we've touched on Brexit um, and do you, do you, I'm guessing you don't know what's going to happen because nobody seems to know what's going to happen. Uh, but but how, how are you working either with that or against that? Um, what, what's the plan for you and for the future? Well, I think, I think Brexit is, um, 
obviously shrouded in mystery. <laughs> no one's quite sure exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, we've spoken to a few politicians as well, and they don't have a clue. I, I did predict, actually, a couple of years back when it first broke, uh, given quite a few speeches on it, that I thought the UK will end up, it'll be a painful, um, confused transition period, but the UK will end up um, with the most liberal immigration regime in the world because the economy will demand it. Yeah. Um, and there, there may be contribution requirements before access to social security is given, but it'll still be the most liberal regime in the world. Mm. And also that the UK will end up complying with the vast bulk of EU regulations because it has to mm. in order to be able to continue trading. And that it didn't really matter what um, politicians of all um, parts of the spectrum, pro-Brexit, anti-Brexit, yeah. thought that's where we're going to end up, yeah. i.e. outside the EU, but fully compliant. Mm. And it does look on this programme that Theresa May has put together that that's exactly where we're going. We should um, say that Theresa May is currently in power, um, <laughs> but that might change. Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, I mean, I, I, it, it was slightly tongue-in-cheek when I, when I said it, um, I call it the Swiss cheese deal, and I still think it looks like a Swiss cheese deal to me, where we're not in the European Union. We've got a kind of quasi-Swiss status. Mm. Um, but it's a pragmatic thing. Remember our history, though. I mean, if you stand back from all the rubbish in the press, which is very misleading, uh, the, the history of our country has always been based on free trade mm. for the last three or 400 years. Virtually everything we've done is based yep. on free trade, um, unlike many other countries. And it, at the end of the day, the thing that I think will drive the UK, whatever we end up on Brexit, is that. So we're much mm. more likely to end up in a free trade position and actually quite free borders, mm. despite what yep. people think they may have voted for. And there are a lot of ironies about where we're going to end up, in my view, compared with what people thought they were voting for. Yes. Um, well, nobody really knows what people were voting for. It was a very individual vote. Uh, I think that's been the confusion all the way through. It's a very confusing but thing it, for lawyers. Uh, uh, true. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but in terms of the like the, the asia pack growth, um, yeah. do you think Brexit would, if it was to happen in a more hard way, uh, would give you that extra, extra boost mm. that maybe would set you out from maybe some of the other firms around here? Yeah, I, th I think, well, we're, we're, hoping we're, a, we're a very international firm, so we're probably less potentially affected by a hard Brexit if it did happen, mm. uh, of course. Um, so that is, is a degree of help. Actually, you know, outside the European Union, talking to many, many companies, um, they're less concerned about Brexit and the EU membership than you may think. Mm. There is still a great deal of interest in investing in the UK. So, and, and I confess to being very surprised by that because yeah. two years ago I was also predicting that people would be put off investing in the UK. But I think the remarkable strength, relative strength of the UK economy, our continued growth, um, is amazing uh, when, you, when you think about the uncertainties that we currently have. Mm. People are still putting money into the UK. Mm. Yeah. So the more interesting question is, why is that happening? Yeah, and you see this. I, 
if we're in our London bubble, I'm looking across the skyline now and there are cranes everywhere, there's development everywhere. It's difficult to think that there's a lack of investment. Um, but with your international hat on and you go around traveling and seeing these people, is, there is still this goodwill. This is, this is yes. reassuring to hear. I believe so, yeah. I think, the, I think there will be a deal done in the end. It'll be very confusing politically. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think even if this government falls, I think the pressure on agreeing a softer Brexit will, will even be bigger. Mm. Um, so, that, yeah, let's, let's wait and see where it ends up. In the long term, prospects for the UK are very strong. And in terms of your uh, so international travel, I, I didn't see any steps uh, up to a helipad uh, in, the, in the hall. Uh, how, how are you getting around? Is it private well, jets somewhere? I, or? Not at all. I mean, I mean, one of the things we've tried to do in the last few years, and one of the big changes, is to empower our, our great sort of heads of practice, heads of country, heads of region a lot more. So we have a... a a very good infrastructure around the world where people look after. It's not just about me doing stuff because mm. it's impossible when you get up to a certain size. Um, and so, you know, we have a head of Asia, head of the Nordic region. We have an executive group that's very much empowered, head mm. of London. And I think you need that in a larger firm because, you know, we're, we're pretty big. Mm. Um, and you, you can't just... Uh, have uh, power concentrated, uh, decision making concentrated into narrow a group or one mm. person. Yeah, and and having been doing the job for twenty two years, uh, does it get at times a little bit lonely, or does that group, that, that executive group, work around you to, to support you, or um, do you have a lot of uh, uh, peers um, around the city who you have uh, drinks you know, with occasionally? It, it, it's quite interesting. I I don't find it lonely at all because I find. I mean, I admit that maybe about five or six years ago, I kind of hit a wall on various things I wanted to really change. And I was worried about what one of them actually was putting more oomph into um, legal technology and client innovative client solutions. How, yeah. how do we how do we drive change at a, in, a, in a radical way inside the firm? And I hadn't I was fine. I was struggling to find a way of inspiring lawyers to get interested and engaged in that but we find a way, we found a very a great way through that and it was like a cloud lifting and I feel now actually really excited by um, uh, our ability to change but it's and that's probably, probably the most important um, quality I think now inside any law firm is the, uh, the ability to adapt to whatever you're confronted by because it's very uncertain what's going to happen. I think I think that's right. But adapting is one thing, uh, but pushing that change is is a different thing. And a lot of firms will buy off the shelf products to do whatever it might be that you're doing. But to actually build that product yourself, to to, to take on that uh, both risk and, and uh, it's out, certainly it's outside of of what we would call black and white legal advice uh, to to drive that change forward and to to push that innovation. Is, is unusual. Yeah, you need you need to have a bit of a culture of innovation where people get uh, applauded and rewarded. Well, it, it's it's applauded and rewarded. You need to get both right uh, for coming up with great ideas and being brave. Mm. And and th there was a great comment made actually by one of my colleagues uh, who, in the past, has always been looked upon as one of my most conservative partners. Mm. Uh, just the other day and. and 
he made this great comment in one of our sort of brainstorming sessions and longer term strategy at the firm that he thought the most important thing was to make sure that in our culture, people um, did not get scared of failure. Mm. And I thought it was such a powerful comment. I mean, the fact that he was a very conservative, from a very conservative background, um, made it all the more powerful, actually. But he was completely correct. You've got to, almost by definition, if you have a culture of innovation, allow people to experiment, work on projects. If they don't work, it's okay. A bit like the... um, our experience uh, in in the in the football World Cup, younger team. Okay, they didn't get there, but at least they tried and they did pretty well. Um, and I think that I think that's a very powerful comment because inside law firms, there is a culture of failure is not tolerated. Mm. I think giving people that breathing space is absolutely right, but that comes back down to having trust in um, in the managers uh, that, that are working right. there uh, with the, within You've each got individual to really team. Them, yeah. To empower them, but also to, to, to have that confidence. And and when you're working as one firm, to make sure that everyone's pulling in the same direction. Um, and how do you how do you instill that into people? Or do you think that's naturally there now? Um, yeah, I mean, I think at the high level, it's about trying to get a clear enough vision that people do buy into and a culture. And I, I think that if you get those two things right, then it's much easier to give people freedom to to build mm. if it's within those parameters mm. um, and then I think you're in a strong position I, I think where it gets very confusing is if you haven't got a clear enough strategy and vision or culture yeah, yeah. and you've, you've got a whole load of people trying to pull in one innovative direction mm. and other people trying to pull them back mm. um, so I, I, I think we've we broke the mould. Don't get me wrong, you know, this has not been an easy path. Um, it was really hard. And I felt like it hit a wall five mm. or six years ago. I think we got through it. And and the reason why we got through it is that, um, you know, it, it was one of those sort of moments of catharsis when you suddenly realise that there are loads of other people that feel the same way inside the firm. Mm. You're not on, you're not on your own feeling that way. Yeah, but the, and so you, the appetite for innovation was much bigger than I realised. It's interesting because you look at you look at places like sort of China as the example, great good example. Innovations coming out of there. Yet there's a let's say a, a very different culture to the one we have in the West. Um, and communist regimes, almost a culture of fear in some ways. Yet innovation's fighting against it. Is it fighting against it, or is it being encouraged? Is it being supported? And uh, well, in Ch- China's fascinating because I mean, you're right. Obviously, the party is enormously important. But you remember, from 1978, they've had a a continuous policy of allowing economic reform. So it it is socialism with a Chinese face. The party is there, but the party is there to steer the path that the companies are allowed to go on. But they allow the freedom mm. to the people to fail and mm. to succeed. Yeah. And actually, their biggest concern is innovation and access, building up the IP assets. Um, so they're very, very strongly encouraging innovation. Mm. And that's a very surprising sort of mm. revelation that you sort of unlock the more you go out there. 
um, nothing is quite what it uh, what you initially assume because yeah. and then you realize that you've you've grown up with a lot of pocket assumptions about yeah. the way China China is and they, they prove to be wrong and there's no plans at the moment to uh, launch an office in North Korea no uh, not in North Korea clarify, uh, <laughs> and and for you um, we, we spoke uh, I don't preempt anything uh, but we spoke initially in the very first podcast to uh, uh, Fiona Wolf who you may well know um, who who is working again in a very uh, innovation driven uh, um, environment in, in utilities, obviously energy, um, and finds it difficult to, she's retired once, I think at least, um, is finding it difficult to let go. Um, obviously, I can see from your body language that your uh, passion for innovation and passion for change is, is still there, very much. Um, 22 years, uh, is there any plan to, uh, to to let go, to go and retire off? Um, are you tired yet? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very happy to continue working um, as long as people put up with me. You know, the, at the end of the day, I mean, n- no one can do what I do inside a law firm unless you carry the support of the partners. Mm-hmm. It's not my choice, really. And it, it's for them to say whether they've had enough of me or would like me to continue. And our, our governance regime is incredibly clear about all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way I think it ought to be, actually, in a firm. I, I often get asked, is the election structure that we have or most firms have the right one and I say well actually yeah it's a it's a very good discipline mm. it calls people to account and that has to be right um, from a personal viewpoint sure I love the firm and happy to help them as as I can mm. um, but I, I'm, I'm also aware that you, you I'm only in this job as long as the partners put up with me mm. or would like me to be there and it's their call in the end um, so from my own viewpoint, sure, I've got boundless energy and enthusiasm for this stuff. And I'm very happy to help out in whatever capacity, continuing to do that into the future. Um, the world's changing enormously quickly, and there's a big revolution in the way legal services are being provided. And I'd just like to be part of that, actually. It's part of my feeling. Yeah. Good. Well, look, very best of wishes. And uh, and thank you for speaking to us. And we'll let you go and... Uh Carry on with your, no doubt, very hectic, busy day. Thank you very much. The Hearing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Please like us or just follow and subscribe. We also want your feedback, so rate and review us or get in touch using the hashtag The Hearing Podcast. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.